Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and it's out to Washington this week for an update on the 2023 hop crop and to hear how the timing of the harvest impacts flavor and aroma. Eric Demery and Alexandra Noel of CLS Farms in Yakima are both here to share their insights. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. You can please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer, and a few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on the show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Mid-September means the hop harvest is in full swing in the Pacific Northwest. And to get insight on what's happening with the harvest this year, I'm so pleased to be joined by Eric Demery, the fourth-generation owner of CLS Farms in Yakima, and Alexandra Noel, the technical brewing advisor to the farm. They've been busy taking stock of all that's happening amid the acres and running sensory and talking with brewers. They've also been looking at the calendar and trying to understand the aromas and flavors that the hop present when they're picked. It's something that gets a good amount of attention at CLS Farms these days. Earlier this year, they hosted a seminar at the Craft Brewers Conference titled Finding the Edges, the Intersection of Art and Science Hop Picking Windows. On that panel, they were joined by Tom Nielsen of Sierra Nevada and Stephanie Kahn of VGF Farms. The seminar explored the diversity of hop aromas that can develop based on when a variety is harvested. And in this conversation, they're going to share details on that and what they've additionally learned this season. So how does harvest time impact the flavor of the hops? One example that CLS found is that harvesting El Dorado towards the end of September brings out its tropical and candy aromas, whereas early harvested El Dorado has more citrus and melon character. It's a fascinating subject and science. Here's our conversation. We are recording this as we get to mid-September 2023. What's it like on the ground in Yakima these days? I'll let Eric start with that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. That's cool. <laughs> well, it's it's busy. All the... All the farms are picking, obviously, by now. There's a little there's a little herky jerky starting out this year. There was some early bloom, split bloom. These are all things that have been talked about, you know, talked about already, but they're but that's not that's, on this show. That's true. That's yeah. true. Not on this show. That's right. And so it that there was a primarily in the variety Centennial, which is still a major, which is still a major variety. It's you know, it's a lot less acreage than it used to, but it's still an important major variety and it it started having blooms in early June, cones in early July. A lot of the plants actually had a second flush of growth. And so what happened was you had a situation where the vines had very overripe cones on them and very underripe cones in August. Oh, and wow. early August. So, uh, which, which happens periodically it's not it's not a it's not something that is super rare but it, it's probably a once ever four-year type event um four or five year type event so in centennial the rest of the variety showed some of it but not but not to the extent that centennial did so there was a lot of people who started picked a field or two stopped and then started and stopped and that that included us as well so there was a lot of uh, start and stop, start and stop, start and stop that went on. And then the rest of the varieties are actually, you know, more on a very normal curve. And so some of their ripeness was actually delayed just slightly. And so a few farms shut down last weekend. Um, you know, that's been going on, which is, you know, pretty not really, you know, that's un that's fairly unheard of. Yeah. You know, the start and stop, start and stop, that kind of stuff. Um, and what does that do for for the workforce with the start and well, stop? Well, you lose folks, do you gain folks? Is it? Yeah. I mean, nobody likes to do it. Um, nobody likes to do it because it, you know, everybody gets in a, a sink and a timing and kind of a, a, a flow. And, and when you disrupt the flow, it's sometimes hard to restart the flow. 
And, uh, but, but the workforce system seemed to take it fairly well. We have other, um, in Washington state, um, the overtime laws now include agriculture. And so, which is new, um, for us. I remember we talked about that last year when I visited. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the, you know, then there's also a combination this year, there's less acreage. So there's some idle acreage out there. So a lot of farms don't have quite as much acreage as they had last year. And so, you know, if you drop off a Sunday, you keep your overtime down a little bit, um, still keeps you on track for your picking window. And so I think, I think the workforce has just come to the acceptance of that, that, that that's going to be part of what we do moving forward. And, and so, you know, it's almost harder for me, <laughs> the owner to adjust <laughs> than, than maybe them to a degree because, sure. because it, you're kind of twiddling your thumbs and you're, you're not used to that. So, so I, it went fine. I mean, it, I have not heard of any issues at any farms. I think, you know, sometimes you lose a person or two, but it, it, it pretty well went fine. I, I don't see any, I didn't see any real fallback fall. Okay. Sorry. I sidetracked you with your, uh, with that question. You're still yeah, talking no, about the fine. fields. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, I think, um, the centennial yields were, were very, uh, they were low, uh, they were well below normal. Um, so that wasn't a good start to most of the centennial growers. We personally felt good about ours and they yielded very normally for us. So we kind of were able to avoid that a little bit. So, but as an industry whole, um, it, uh, it, uh, it was a pretty rough, uh, start of the season with Centennial. Um, I think, uh, now that we've moved into some of the other varieties, it feels like a very average, everything seems very normal and very average. And so, and last year, you know, we had one of our poorest crops in probably 25 years. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing uh, yields return to normal when I, at least personally so far, the next two or three varieties we've been, we're seeing yields return to normal from last year. So, okay. So well, that's, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, nor- normal's good, right? I mean, normal is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, yeah. you know, everybody's always saying, you know, either this is the new normal or asking for a return to normalcy. So hearing, <laughs> hearing that is, is, is comforting. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, there's, you know, the, the hot market is probably fully, um, fully supplied. And so, um, you know, there's, there's some challenges on that front, but um, good stable yields at the grower level regardless of the market or a good thing. So. Yeah. Alex, anything from, from your perch? Uh, actually, I mean, Eric sums <laughs> it up really, really well. It's there, there's a lot going on. I, so the one thing I think that we've talked about is like internally on the farm, just waiting for this ideal aroma of certain varieties to like come, come to fruition and i don't know if we've seen and this is specifically talking about centennial i don't know if we've seen exactly what we were expecting uh the variety to kind of showcase itself as this year i think the one thing that we didn't see on most of the fields was the really sort of early sweet uh, citrus character of centennial so it's been interesting huh. you know it, we have it's it's the aroma has been really really nice right it's just it seemed like it started off pretty advanced on it and that's you know i believe because it's the split blooms that happened in some of the fields, but even in the fields that we didn't see that, it's almost like they stepped, they skipped that early phase of aromatic maturity and kind of like moved on to the later iterations of what Centennial is. And and then just, you know, looking at other other fields with other varieties and just kind of sitting and waiting and you're like, okay, typically we'd be seeing this hot mature by now. Um, when's it gonna turn? And it's starting to happen. I feel like maybe that happens every year. Uh, it is only the eighth of you know eighth of September right now, right? So yeah. I, it's barely September. Um, I was asking myself this question the last week of August, which felt like the longest week of the year, honestly. But <laughs> uh, so far, everything's been really good. It's nice to see brewers coming to town with a 
a better outlook than last year. There was definitely some disappointment around some varieties in the 2022 crop year. Okay. So it's cool to see people coming back into town a little more excited about what's going on. I think a- there a- might be excited, an- excited. How sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. In terms of like uh quality, I think maybe they've all had better years too. I don't know. I think last year we were in- interacting with a lot of people still coming out of the COVID slump of their brewery operations. And I don't think that's necessarily the case right now. Okay. Um, so maybe it's just an overall more positive outlook on everything um so i just that's just in terms of noticing attitudes of people in the valley right now but i don't know it's it was a pretty busy start for us because we started picking so early and uh i don't know not stopping anytime soon (laughs) what so what are brewers looking for this year that might be different from years past like what what have the conversations been centering around hop wise I've seen like is it styles. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I've seen a lot more excitement around public varieties, which is really cool to see. Um, you know, we've all heard about oversupplies of some of the proprietary stuff that's been going on. And so I've yep. seen a genuine interest in um, public hops. And that's really great. Maybe that's because uh, the USDA breeding program and Prosser is getting a little more advanced. And so I've been interacting with a lot of brewers who have been through that. Uh, during their visit here. And there's some exciting stuff happening for like Washington specific hop breeding down across her that hasn't existed in previous years. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. But uh, people are asking us about Vista. That didn't really happen so much last year. And so any listeners not familiar, Vista is the new yeah, please t- please, please release. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was really commercialized last year by the public hop breeding program. And, and it's a hop that uh, in year one, did really great for us in the field. Year two, uh, you know, it's also doing really, really well. Um, aromas haven't really started to develop on that variety for us yet. It's a later in September pick, but like almost every brewer that's come through the farm at this point has been like, so how's that Vista doing? And uh, last year we did some early harvest with CTZ and almost every one of them has asked if we're planning to do that again this year. And so typically they're like, you know, how's your Citra? <laughs> and now they're like, how's that CTZ looking? And um, that is a nice refreshing change from previous years, I think. Yeah. It, are, are, are they talking when they're asking about just or CTZ or, or, or any of these others? Um, are they citing specific styles? Like, is it, <laughs> Are we still John, talking? It's all about IPAs. We're all talking I, I, about I know. I, I just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm here just being like, hey, how about a lager? Yeah. Hey, uh, well, hey, hey actually- still fun. You know, sure. like let's it, let's age some hops and make some some lovely saisons. You know, like well, come they on. still don't need that many hops in those beers, but um, <laughs> I, I know that's not what you guys want to hear. I'm just saying well, that's what I want in my class. It's here's yeah. the thing, though. There's definitely some ongoing development of American lager varieties, and we're hearing we are hearing more about that um, from the grower and the dealer side. So you might be pleasantly surprised over the next few years to see. Some uh, players in the U.S. hot market actually being lager. No, I feel varieties. like I'm going to be Charlie Brown with the football, but that's fine. It's, <laughs> you know, let everybody drink hazies. That's okay. <laughs> There's clear IPA out there too. Still, there okay. are. I know, but not enough out here in Jersey where I am. You guys are yeah. are all spoiled out there on the West Coast with <laughs> you know, nice bitterness and grapefruit and pine and all these flavors that I miss. Um, Anyway, before I become too, uh, uh, too, too, too bittered. Um, so that's where a lot of the conversations that are focusing. Yeah. It's still and a lot of, yeah. yeah. It's IPA, it's IPA innovation. And, and, you know, a lot of the, the large brewers, um, they're still seeing gains and a lot of them are seeing gains in IPA innovation and new IPA SKUs that they're pushing out to the shelves. And, um, and, you know, obviously the large brewers have a lot of buying power. And so, you know, if they're winning in the IPA space, I think that's really great for the hop industry. Yeah. Um, so I know you all are, are, are talking to brewers a lot and the, the conversation is every brewer has an idea of 
what a hop can do and then what it can do in their beers. And they want specific lots um, that present in a certain way, or they want, uh, you know, things picked at a certain time to, to, to taste a certain way. And we've seen, uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but um, where for some of those varieties that you were talking about before, or even any of the other conversations, um, how has the, what the hops smell like, what the hops taste like, conversation evolved in the last five or so years and where is it now when you're having those conversations i i think that's a that is so brewer dependent right and then you know we have some of our other people that visit us we know what they want we know what they're looking for because they have large flagship brands to kind of represent and it's been that way for last five years but you have a lot of smaller players and new brewers that might be looking for a hot variety to use in different beers and then might be looking for multiple expressions of that variety right Eldorado is a really wide picking window and someone could be really interested in the early and the late and they might come seeking both of them so I I don't know I mean uh I for me personally when I was doing hop selection for the breweries I've been employed by I thought I had an idea of what I wanted going in to it. And I never worked for any brewery that was so massive that a shift, a small shift in like aromatic character of a variety would really like mess up a beer. It often would make it better, but I would come into the Valley thinking I had an idea of what I wanted. And then I would come across this really killer uh, representation of a certain variety. And I would change my mind like that. <laughs> and I'd be like, this is what I want. I didn't know it, but this is what I want. So I think that's we cool. still I was going to, I was going to ask you your advice too. to brewers, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If it's, if it's really capturing you and you have the ability to shift uh, the aromatic profile of a certain variety, because you're just really impressed with this cut on the table, then there's no reason to not go that way. Now, if you're a really large brewery and you have a flagship, like I said, a flagship that relies heavily on Centennial and this certain profile of Centennial, you're kind of locked in, but for the brewers and customers that we see that have those beers, um, there's, we have a pretty good idea of what they're already looking for. And, and typically they, I think Eric's already hit a lot of those on the nose in terms of these brewers coming and looking for their Centennial and he knows exactly what they want. And that's what they choose. Eric, does that square with you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a, as a, as a large centennial grower, this is a, this is a pressure filled week for us. <laughs> and so, um, you know, getting, you know, we, we work directly with a lot of hop dealers. We work directly with brewers. And so we work really hard with all, with the entire supply chain to make sure we get it right. And, you know, and it's, it's impossible to get it hundred percent right. So you've got to juggle this and juggle that there. And, you know, every year we get more feedback from all the buyers on what they like and what they want and what they don't want. And then we work really hard to try and fit that into what, to what we want. And, and, you know, this, this isn't anything anyone doesn't know, but there's obviously there's some pretty wide variations within the same variety of what certain buyers and brewers like. And so even on the dealer level, you know, we have certain dealers that want things a certain way and other dealers want things this way. And so, so, you know, trying to modulate all that and get that just right. And, but, you know, we have 40 days of R and D every year that we get a, we get to talk about this stuff with them and, and, and work at, work at getting it right and, and, and adjusting it here and there. And so I don't know if that's a little bit, kind of, you know, the bigger talk today, I think is, you know, what, you know, we're doing a lot of work now with, um, we do a lot of internal sensory, we always have, but we're also um, working with uh, VGF and Hop Technic on some of their um, testing protocols on different yards. And so we've got quite a few different tests going on that way to help us further refine it. So those, those are, those are some things we're doing right now. So um well you touched about so so can you go a little bit deeper into to what some sure. of those things are sure so you know there's we've we've in, internally at cls you know there's really basically four people that you know are qualified to go into the field do some do sensory and then we kick it around and where are we at you know and so the advantage the advantage of doing sensory that way is that it's immediate and quick 
but you know, so that's the art side of it. So, but that takes, you know, multiple years to get good at that. And that takes a dedication to, to looking at hop yards on a daily basis during harvest. And, and so we feel like we've got really good at it. The, the advantage is it's really fast and we can move very, very quickly. And so um, there can be, you know, there's different methodologies for testing for ripeness and maturity. And some of them are, some of them are, are very blunt tools and some of them are very, are much more sophisticated tools. And so, but each of those tools have a time lag to them. And so, and so what we're really doing is through across uh, four major variety groups, we do it in Centennial, uh, we're doing it in Cascade, we're doing it in Citra, and we're doing it in El Dorado. And those, those are four big variety groups for us. And so what we're doing is making sure that our internal sensory is matching, um, is matching what science says and modulating once again against, against that. But that's a three-day turnaround. So we take the sample, submit it. It's two to three days back before we get that data, which is challenging because um, things move so fast. And, and, and so we have to, so what we're trying to do is kind of beta test that against our own internal sensory. And, and it's going a little deeper than that. We also, we also, there's differences in maturity between the ages of the field. So, A two-year-old field would present different than a eight-year-old field, let's say. That's something I never would have thought about. Yep. And a virus-free planting will present very differently than a, than a, than a planting that's got virus. And can can you give an example of the the age of the fields and the differences that, Mm -hmm. that, that you've been experiencing? Yeah, so typically early in a in a field's age profile, it's it's very vigorous. It's in its highest yield uh, capacity, but it also has the capacity, but it also has the ability to produce softer aromas or take or or not so much maybe softer aromas, but take more time to develop into the proper maturity window. Whereas older varieties, there's less vigor in the plant, more sunlight on the cones. Uh, age just causes a, a sharpening of aromas as well. Those tend to be earlier, and so quantifying that is one of the one of the one of the tests we're doing. You know, this year it's kind of there's some age differences in the yards that we're that we're working on. So that that's a very real thing. Um, that's a very real thing. And then and then. Um, a lot of a lot of the industry is working hard to move to virus free, and there's a, this this one takes a little bit of discussion around to fully fully understand. And so people think, well, you know, all oh, your hops have viruses. Well, they do. There's four four major ones, but they they um, they're impossible to stop. They're impossible. So they're ubiquitous in the industry. Now you can start with virus free. Uh, uh, plant material and in the baby year, and it will remain virus free for three or four years. Um, and then, but over that three or four year period, it will slowly develop virus again and, and its yield will come down. And so, but, and so the virus free, um, there's getting to be a lot of acres of, of all varieties being planted virus free. It, uh, it, it presents very, very differently. And Alex, um, you know, she can attest to that. We had a virus-free citra field last year that we scratched our head and wondered if it was citra for a while. <laughs> for a while, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alexandra, attest to it, please. Yeah. How, I mean, uh, what were you getting well, off of it? What it did, it looked different. It looked very different. But, I, you know, some baby, first-year babies will represent themselves physically a little bit differently mm-hmm. than they will in the second years, potentially there's more sun, there's more wind. There's a lot of different things that happen on a first year plant just simply because it's smaller, but aromatically it just wasn't hitting with citra and citra is a very, very um, unique hop aroma and it's intense. And <laughs> I remember the first time I went out in that field with Reed and I'm like, are you sure 
This is such a, I'm like, well, we, these are pots that were purchased, right? Like they were yeah. bred to be virus free from a greenhouse. So we know that they're, they're, they are what they say they are unless they've delivered the wrong plant. Uh, but Eric's like, no, no, they're Citra. Trust me, they're Citra. <laughs> it's just, they didn't smell like Citra. I mean, this year they smell much more like Citra and they look much more like Citra. Um, but there's something to be said for the plant undergoing a little bit of stress. Mm -hmm. And there's been studies done on aromatic development because of plant stress. And I think because simply the plant doesn't have anything to go up against, uh, it's not going to be pushed in one direction or another simply because it's, it's got an easier way at life. I don't know. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's just, it's not that the aroma isn't there. It's an overall intensity. Would you agree with me on that, Eric? Like the yeah. intensity on some of the varieties just isn't quite there. You're looking for a punch and yeah. you're like, that smells really nice, but usually it like hits you in the face. So, um, you know, virus free is good. Um, but then what do you think after three or four years and these viruses start being reintroduced back into these fields, was it worth it to have it for that three to four years? I think, I think in some varieties, it certainly is, um, you know, and pot varieties are like humans. They each respond to virus, like with COVID, obviously we saw, you know, uh, humans, different humans react very differently to COVID. And so it's very similar, very similar to hot plants. So Cascade is really, really susceptible to it and the yields will just crash precipitously. So it's not really, it's not really, um, that one makes it pretty easy, but other varieties, can handle it you know pretty decently and so our 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 highest yielding centennial this year was a 16 year old field that i will guarantee you if they tested it for virus it'd have every hot virus known and so <laughs> and so so you know we're, are we going to take that out and put a virus free centennial in no but if we have a weaker yard or weaker soil or something like that. Sure. That makes a lot of sense in that particular situation. So, but, you know, learning, learning how virus free interacts in the aroma world, no one's really done much on that yet. And as Alex can attest, I mean, there's vast, I mean, when you, 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 you walk into a virus, two-year-old virus free cascade yard, and you're looking at something that you've never seen before growth wise. And I mean, there's, they're very, very different. Um, it's very, very different. And there will, there, there, there has to be effects on aroma. I'm not saying good or bad, um, but understanding what those effects are, you know, myself, I think you can still get really great aromas off of virus free. It's probably, but our typical date that we would think a variety would be at peak maturity, that curve might be shifted out a little bit, quite possibly. So, um, but what I will say is, is some of the most powerful aromas you get are off the virus fields for sure. And so, you know, I, if, if I could wave a wand and turn all my, turn all of our centennial, into virus free in one year, would I do it? I don't think I'd do it because I would be too nervous of the aroma with the aroma effects and not completely understanding it right now. So, huh. Oh, that's fascinating. That's so cool. So, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to follow it up. So it, it, it's for us, our strategy is, is, is we we're doing it where it makes sense and we're on a rotation we definitely, of all of our major varieties, we want to have 25, 30% of our fields be, you know, vi new virus-free plantings all the time. But I don't think I would take, like, and I just, so I just want to follow that up. But we're not against virus-free or anything, but we just want to, we want, we, our strategy is we're going to be in some kind of ongoing ro rotation all the time would be our, yeah. our strategy. Um, I mean, I, I, I also think, you know, it, you probably have some people who would offer opinions and everything, but um, you live and work there and, you know, you've been doing this a very, very long time. I would trust you over, you know, it's, it's like going back to the COVID thing of who well, I read on the internet. It's like, yeah, but let's trust the scientists <laughs> in the lab. Um, yeah. um, you all have been um, 
looking at uh, harvest windows as well. Um, not just you know the the age of the fields, but when you're picking you know the various varietals of hops and and um, and what they're doing or how they're presenting, I guess I should say, um, when they're being harvested. Um, can can you talk a little bit a, a little about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, so there's you know there's there's one discussion where it says okay, we're gonna take uh, variety X and we're gonna we're going to harvest it at um, at what would quote be its peak maturity, and that produces aroma Y, right? And so, but what we're really messing around with is like take like in CTZ's case, taking it way early. So it's not we're not we're not in any kind of proper maturity window with CTZ when we harvest it three weeks early. We're but when you go that early, it changes the aroma. And it's a different kind of aroma. And then other varieties, when you go extremely late, a whole different kind of aroma uh, might show up. And so trying to learn, you know, learn those edges, I think, on both sides is, is, uh, is, is something that CLS is really, really working hard on to, to understand. And because frankly, I mean, if it opens up bigger, if it opens up more aromas i mean that you have existing varieties that can provide different aromas just by being in a different window right so i just mm-hmm. give brewers more more choices <laughs> and and frankly it helps us it helps us it helps us you know we can't just wave our wand and pick all the hops on one day you know we this isn't it's you know it's a it's an agricultural product it's a 40-day window and you know we're hunting and pecking all the time for something. So something like an early CTZ might fit really great because it, it delays us several days to give our Eldorado more time to get to a late Eldorado for, for, you know, something along those lines. So, so I think there's one discussion about trying to get to what's called proper or peak maturity of a variety and what that aroma is, but really, so we're definitely on that train is for sure. But we're the other train we're on is what what can we get out of these varieties that maybe no one else has yet by going late or going early. And we're actually have a project going with Russian River where they um, they were very interested in the legacy variety uh, Brewers Gold. Okay. And so it's not a hop you hear brought up all that much anymore. So, yeah, nope. Nope. And so uh, we planted a small, small plot of it and they're buying most of it. And they, they don't want us to pick it at what it would normally be. They want us to mess around going very late or even very looking at it very, they want to, they want to expand the window way out to understand what that, that variety could be um, in a non-traditional harvest window. And so this is our first year. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's a really nice planting. It's super healthy. It's going to be late, just naturally. It's going to be late. Um, so, but yeah. So that's a that's a you know a very on the ground, real um, example of a brewer who's wanting to take something and and you know push it to the edge and see see what kind of aromas can pop out of it. So. And what's, what's funny about that one, and because so now, you know, we're going to be on Brewer's Gold Watch as, as the plant continues to mature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking with Vinny about this, and I was like, so what are you looking for? Because we're the ones that are in the fields, kind of checking out what's going on. Friday is like, honestly, I don't know, right? Because it it's something that has been traditionally picked at one time fairly early. And because we're going to push the harvest window of this variety, it's like, I'm not really sure what's going to come about. Um, by letting it hang a little bit longer. So I think we're all very interested to see what develops. I'm certainly interested to see what he brews with it. Yeah, um, you never same. know what if a few years from now are people going to be like really jazzed on Brewer's Gold. I don't know. So um, certainly by the book, it, it has interesting aromatics on paper. I mean, one of them is uh, black currant, so cattiness. And I think we, a lot of us equate cattiness to a hop like Simcoe. Yep. And if you're able to round out tropical fruit and cattiness in a variety like Brewer's Gold because you pick it later, I think that that shows some promise. Huh. I 
I'm wondering, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this question because obviously not being a farmer, but it was, you'd pick when you thought the hops were ready, like traditionally, right? It's, you know, a tomato looks ripe. You're going to pick the tomato, right? Um, how, How long has this conversation been happening in the hop world, um, in hop farming, on picking early, picking late, just to see what aroma would do, as opposed to, you know, picking when it was quote unquote ready. Like, h- how has that conversation evolved? Well, I mean, the the big evolution really started. I don't know. I mean, I think the evolution real for me. I mean, you know, certainly craft has been very important to the U.S. hop grower since, you know, really about kind of 2010, you know, I'd say is when kind of this thing started really getting to be a thing. And so, but honestly, at that point, I don't, the, there, I don't, I mean, aroma was a thing for sure, but, but, you know, both sides maybe hadn't got that sophisticated yet quite on it. And so, and I'll let Alex chip in, but like, what I see is really since about like 2014, 13, 14, 15 is when you started seeing these, you know, these big, um, these, these really focusing down on, on aromas. And, and so not all growers have got there yet um, because that wasn't a part of our world pre 2011, 12. Um, And so, but but the vast majority of growers have made a lot of progress in it uh, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a focal point. It's become more of a focal point. So I don't know, for me, I just think, I think, and I, you know, and I think as we've gotten, both sides have gotten more sophisticated, we keep getting better and better and better and better. And it, it can be just a touch frustrating at points though, because, because there is a, there is an end game where we can't make it perfect. Right. And so, so, um, but I think that really serious focus was really starting to kind of come in there around 13 or 14. So I don't know, Alex, maybe you could chip in on that side too. I mean, I can talk about just specifically from my experience, the brewer on the other side, right. And, um, selection and, and I, I, I think our, my first experience was with CLS farms and this idea of pushing out a window. And it was a conversation about Eldorado. And, you know, when you spend enough time in Yakima during harvest and you're able to be exposed to these, um, these varieties that have these different windows really for the first time for me and taking a particular preference on aromas when I started thinking about other varieties and what those windows look like too. And, not long after that, BSG released a uh, early harvest CTZ and an early harvest summit hop. So like the idea to pick CTZ early was not an original one out of my head, but something that I had experienced in the past that completely changed the perception of these varieties typically utilized. Some at least, you, you know, summit's been utilized for alpha and CTZ mostly for alpha, not always in California where I brewed all of my career, but um being able to be exposed to a summit that lacked onion and garlic, but instead was like right. tangerine zest. Yeah. And <laughs> right. And then, so that for me is what opened up the, this concept of shifting windows for every variety. And then I wanted to get to know those windows for each variety because they're not all the same, right? Not every hop is gracefully allowed a 10 day picking window in which it will change from beginning to end in all these amazing ways. Some days, like, you know, some hops like cashmere have like two to three days and this just goes off a cliff, but um, I don't know. It just gave you more power as, as like an artist or a brewer uh, understanding the differences. And, and I, I, I like seeing more farms grasp onto this, but there's still a lot of farms that determine maturity solely based off of um, dry matter in their hop or, they pick a variety on the same day every year. And, and for a year like 2023, certainly that wouldn't stand because there's hops that would have been picked already that just still smell very green in the field. Yeah. But that's the cultural practices behind farming as well, right? Like every farm's going to do it a little bit differently and it doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different. <laughs> I like that. Um, 
does this mean have we reached the point or could we reach the point now where brewers um when they're tasting and and they're 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 doing selection i guess um when they're doing selection and going through different lots that were harvested at different times can this lead to yeah i want you know this amount of eldorado that was harvested early and this amount that was harvested quote unquote on time and this amount late um is that going to start happening of mix and matching of timed I, harvest varietals? I don't know. Am, am I am I now adding more work? No, to, to no, no. You're not because when it comes down to it, there's like minimum pellet runs as well. So it's not like we could run like ten boxes of one, ten boxes of another. Now if we made the decision as a farm to just run the the hops like that. That's fine, but you know, that's I don't think that's going to be the norm. Okay. Um, I'm because, you know, we, a lot of how we've determined maturity in the past has been anecdotal and, and really based off of art. And now that we have the data behind it, the next step in my mind, and this is to do the brewing trials on these early, mid and late, because sensory wise, they do stand out against each other. Um, I'm not sure what a mid to a late Eldorado will do in a beer. I know early to late will represent themselves very differently in a beer, but I'm not sure about like the nuances of like a few days and what that'll do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, typ but, typ typically brewers know what, I mean, they know, well, let's, uh, let's say on legacy <laughs> type brands, they, they know yeah. what they want already. Um, and, you know, you'll see a natural, especially on the larger purchases, you'll see a natural, you know, they, they might have one lot they love, right and but that won't fill them and they have another lot that's maybe just a little bit too too much but then they have another lot that's maybe just a little bit less than what they like and so they they'll take all three of those lots and blend them together and and that gets them where they want so we see a lot of that um but typically they already each brewer quote unquote already has an opinion of where they want to go but with some of these new things we're doing some of this might be opening up eyes and noses and beers to things that they haven't experienced yet so so is, is the ultimate goal through some of these trials to find a universal sweet spot with with, with uh, harvest times is that no i don't think it works it's not going to work that way okay. simply because of the amount of acreage that has to be harvested right so it's not like we could be like, okay, all of these things get picked at this exact specification um, for some of the larger acreage varieties that we have. For the smaller stuff, yeah, I think that we can determine an ideal. Uh, but then when it comes down to it, brewers are like taste is subjective, right? You know, brewers have a lot of different taste types of taste and a lot of different types of opinions. And I don't think that they're going to want to see all of the same thing on the table. Like that seems very homogenous to me. Okay. And, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, was trying to, I don't think, yeah, yeah I don't I, think we're going to get to the point where we're going to be like, this hop gets picked, but it looks exactly like this. Yeah. I would, I would say the very, we, we like, we want and crave the variability in the aromas because it helps us. It helps our, it's help, it helps us modulate our picking window. So that's a good thing. So I will say there are, there, you know, there, there are probably groups within the hop industry that are trying to homogenize it and make certain varieties be very consistent and only one thing. That's probably, that's not our belief system, but there is some of that in the hop industry in some groups. And so, but, but, you know, what we're trying to do, you know, we see brewers come through and we see a wide variation in the same variety group variety that they that they want and and so i think trying to force everybody onto one ideal is not what we're certainly not what we want to do and i think not what the industry should want to do what we're we want to do is add more variety and more choice that's that's the goal so i like that um i mean you obviously have a lot on your plate with all of this now um but there's always evolving conversations about the, the the next area of research the next area of exploration are there are there things that you both are thinking about that you hope we're talking about in a much more robust way three five years from now 
I don't know. I think I, I, now being on the other side, I, I want to see more conversations around what's good on the grower side as well. Um, I want to see the concept of agronomics and new varieties become a more open conversation in the industry. It is something that, you know, those that are pretty savvy to what's going on do talk about regularly, but you know, they'll walk out into an experimental yard and be like, oh, this smells amazing. And this is great. But like the plant is halfway up the string, you know, yeah. in its third year. And and so and they're like, but this is great. This is what we want. We're looking for this aroma. Um, but I think that there needs to be a, this concept of sustainability on the farming side as well. So and I'm not just talking about environmental sustainability, right? Talking about sustainability for the business aspect of the farm. So I'd like to see more conversations around what's better for the grower as well. Eric, yeah. how about for you? Is that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, certainly, um, certainly, uh, you know, obviously I'm a grower, so I always want, I, I always want, you know, we always, we need, we need things to right? And so, but, you know, obviously, you know, there's a definite, there's a definite, um, you know, there's a definite, flattening in the craft industry right now and and that'll cause a flattening in our industry and i think i think it's really imperative for both sides in the next three to five years to bear down and really make sure they're we're we're providing a hot product to brewers that can help them provide unique products to consumers because at the end of the day if we lose uh, market share to other alcohol types and different things, that's going to not be, that's going to be harmful to both sides. So I think, I think U S craft and U S hop growers, we really need to focus on doing right by each other and being aligned and doing the things that each side needs to, to get to, to, um, to make sure, you know, because ultimately we're, we're, providing here is something for the consumer and so yeah. we just really you know the the growth stage is over it's in a little different stage of the we're more the maturity stage here so um you know so i just think the closer we can continue to make relationships the better you're going to see a lot of new hot products come up those are those are happening fast and so and those, I think, will allow eventually allow brewers to be more efficient with what they do. And those are things hop growers have to just, um, you know, accept. That might mean a few less hops, but it's better for brewers. You know, higher yield varieties are good for us um, uh, as well. They're easier to grow. They're more reliable. You know, those are wins for us. So anyway, I just think really focusing on alignment and being in a we're in, we need to really work together because we're in a, you know, we're in a more challenging period here than what the last 10 years has been. So yeah. we just get it right. So I know the, uh, the day has already been going for a long time for you all on the farm this morning, so I won't keep you too much longer, but, um, I've been asking folks on the show for quite a while now, the green door question, which is uh, based on the the television show, The Good Place. And in the final season of that show, they, they introduced the concept of the green door where the characters could walk through it and be anywhere doing anything that they wanted to be doing. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the the world where would you want to go who would you want to be with and what would you like to be drinking and alexandra i'll start with you oh that is not fair john oh shit um okay i i can answer this uh it's maybe not what people would expect because i've been brewing ipa for so long but I would want to walk through the green door and end up in a shoof at Brasserie de Shoof in Belgium. Uh, I would like a fresh Hublon shoof because the first time I had that, I cried. And the brewery was closed that day, so I couldn't actually go inside of it. Um, so I'd like to go back. The weather was is going to be perfect through the green door. Obviously. Sure, of course it is. Yeah. And the way that the sun shines in Belgium when you're drinking a fresh Belgian beer is just unparalleled to anything I've ever experienced. So... Um, I would probably just bring a few of my friends, probably my dogs too. 
Um, and it would be Hublon Chouf. I'd be drinking super fresh Hublon Chouf and crying into my glass. <laughs> I love it. Eric, what about you? <laughs> well, uh, we, uh, we had the founders crew out the farm the other day. And um, obviously, Mao from Spain has is, is bought them, you know, quite a long time ago. But they're, they, they always come out and visit us well. And it reminded me of a... Uh, of a family vacation we took to Barcelona in Spain uh, seven or eight years ago. And my daughters were uh, below 21 now, but uh, they're above 21 now. So, <laughs> so my green door is I really enjoyed it in Barcelona. I thought we had a great time. I love the culture there. And it would be to uh, walk through that green door with my family and spend another week there or in Madrid um, in that lifestyle and just bopping around to um, some really cool local uh, breweries because I know that scene is 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 doing pretty well there, and uh, just be in that lifestyle for a week or so. So, I think that that just brought that just kind of that was front and center in my mind after uh, talking with the Mao people a few days ago. It just triggered that memory. So I, I like that's that. Where, I think that's where I'm going. So cool. Well, I appreciate the both of you being here and uh, and sharing insights from the farm and the research and flavor and experiences. And I'm, as a drinker, personally excited about uh, everything that'll soon be coming to to my glasses. So, um, thanks, and I hope the the rest of the season is uh, is normal. Thank right? You. Is that yeah? That's um, uh, but thank you both. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think we feel pretty good about the rest of the year, and so we're, we're marching along. We got, we're hit, we're in a nice stride right now with harvest. Have you had any fresh hop beers yet this year? If so, what's been a standout? Tell me about it. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J O H N H O L L at allaboutbeer.com. You can tell me on X, formerly Twitter, at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. You can check out the podcast page, the shop page, and read great new content, as well as the archives going back to 1979. And don't forget to follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. If you're supporting or if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, you can email us. It's info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. And we appreciate the support. Don't forget, All About Beer has that podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday. And the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schwaber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>